following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of... Yeah, it's that bad. My name is Joel. And I'm Martin. And I'm Kevin. This is the show that looks at supposedly bad movies and asks the question, is it really that bad? And what that boils down to is that we look at movies that are rotten, Rotten Tomatoes, and we reevaluate that score. Does it really deserve to be that low? Tonight's movie is 2004's The Polar Express, directed by Robert Zemeckis, starring Tom Hanks, Daryl Sabara, Nona Gay, Peter Scolari, Eddie Deason, Charles Fleischer. Steven Tyler and Michael Jeter. The Polar Express is a 2004 motion capture computer animated film based on the children's book of the same title by Chris Van Alsberg. This film currently holds a 56% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? A young boy's faith in the holiday spirit is revived after he makes his way by train to the North Pole on Christmas Eve in this warm-hearted computer-animated tale inspired by Chris Van Alsberg's award-winning children's book. Co-executive producer Tom Hanks also lends his talents to the role of the kindly railroad conductor who helps the boy find a reason to believe in others and himself. <laughs> <laughs> Not a plus, no. <laughs> what a failure. Okay, the Polar Express. What is your history with this? I'm a uh, virgin to this movie. Really? Yeah. I'm shocked. Yeah, me too. Blown away. I only watch A Christmas Story around Christmas time. Not right. stop. I saw this in the IMAX 3D movie theater in Atlantic City, and I saw it after a glowing recommendation from Joel over here telling me it would pretty much change my life forever. I have an extremely rich history with this movie. I will never forget it. It is among my top 10 best movie-going moments of all time, if not the best movie-going moment I've ever had in my life. The year was 2004. The place was Atlantic City. <laughs> I don't even remember what the hell we were all doing down there, but we were like in a group of like 20 people or something, and we all went down to Atlantic City for one reason or the other. It was for a birthday. Okay, I didn't want to gamble. I had no interest in that. So me and another friend of ours, we decided to go see this movie because it was in IMAX and it was in 3D. I think those are the only reasons why we picked it, because it just happened to be playing there. Otherwise, we had no interest in seeing this. We went and we saw it, and it was unbelievable, this movie. Like, the first watch of this thing, it was unreal. When the movie was over, we walked out of the movie, like, our legs were shaking, like, our eyes were all dilated. We were like, oh, where, where are we? Like, it was incredible. When you guys came back, I remember this so vividly. You guys were like, so how was the movie? We're wiping tears out of our <laughs> eyes, like, it was amazing. <laughs> And no one would believe us. Nobody. Yeah. After seeing it right now, I don't believe you, so. <laughs> well, you got to keep in mind that this was the first movie that at least I ever saw that used the modern day 3D technology. Mm -hmm. And it was an IMAX. Mm -hmm. And it had this weird motion capture stuff going on. Like, it was, there's a lot going on here for 2004. Pretty mind-blowing. I saw it one year later, and I did not have that experience whatsoever. Yeah, well, 2004, there was no YouTube. 2005, post-YouTube. <laughs> So that changes everything. Yeah, that right? bears a lot on a 3D <laughs> IMAX movie. I love this movie when I saw it in the theaters. You were lukewarm, and Martin never even heard of it. I've, uh, <laughs> I've obviously heard of it. I, I, I never had any interest in seeing it. Okay. All right, so let's do what we always do at the top of the show. We'll discuss the actors one by one, and we'll see how you thought they did. 
I mean, really, there's only one guy we're talking about. Yep. He's the, the workhorse here, Tom Hanks. I love Tom Hanks. I think he's a great actor, and uh, his voice acting in this movie I thought was phenomenal. It was great. Yeah, I mean, he had maybe 98% of the lines in this movie. He was like six different characters. Uh-huh. He was he, pulling an Eddie Murphy. He did a pretty good job, I thought. Yeah, he was pretty good. I wasn't too crazy about his conductor voice. Oh, did you like that? I thought it sounded like a conductor to me. Whatever. I mean, like... He was good at Santa. Santa was my least favorite. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, Santa actually was my least favorite as well. Yeah, okay, and who else? Oh, there's the, the kid in the glasses. Oh, yeah, him. That kid was so annoying. If they remake this movie, they should digitally remove him. Yeah, this guy's name is Eddie Deason, and me and this guy go way, 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 way back. I'm starting to think that this is what this guy actually sounds like in real life, because I've heard him in other cartoons, and he sounds exactly the same. His really obnoxious voice. My first encounter with him was back in the early 90s in a little cartoon show called Duck Man. Perhaps you've heard of it. Can't stand this guy's voice. So obnoxious. But I guess that's the point, right? Yeah. All right, so that's pretty much it. I mean, this, this is a Tom Hanks production. This is all yeah. about him. Yep. So let me talk about the brief history on the Polar Express. The human characters in the film were animated using live-action performance capture techniques, with the exception of the waiters who dispensed hot chocolate on the train because their feet were impossible for live actors to achieve. The steam locomotive that pulls the Polar Express is modeled after an actual locomotive that is located at the Steam Railroading Institute in Owasso, Michigan. Many of the trains sound effects, such as the whistle blowing and steam exhausting, were created from live sampling of number 1225 while in operation. The buildings at the North Pole reference a number of buildings related to American railroading history. The buildings in the square at the center of the city are loosely based on the Pullman factory located in the Pullman neighborhood of Chicago, and the control center is based on the old Penn Station in New York City. In addition to standard theatrical 35mm format, a 3D version for IMAX was also released, generated from the same 3D digital models used for the standard version. It was the first motion picture not specifically made for IMAX to be presented in this format, and the first to open in IMAX 3D at the same time as the main flat release. The 3D version outperformed the 2D version by about 14 to 1. The 3D IMAX version was released again for the 2005 holiday season in 66 IMAX theaters and made another 7.5 million prior to Christmas. Due to its financial success, the IMAX version was re-released again in 2006, 7, and and has become an annual Christmas movie. Okay, guys, this movie made how much worldwide? Three hundred million. One dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Martin wins. <laughs> it only made one dollar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Three hundred million dollars. Well played. Okay, guys, the Polar Express. Okay, so this movie starts off with a narration with from Tom Hanks talking about what it was like for him when he was a kid. So this little boy that we're following is. Is baby Tom Hanks Jr. Tom Hanks Jr. 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 This is what I remember very vividly from when I first saw this in IMAX 3D. This opening shot of the kid in bed sleeping, and the camera kind of zooms in on his face, and the camera turns around, and we get our first shot of three-dimensionality in in this kid's face. And when he opened his eyes, I am not exaggerating, every single person in the theater gasped. Like, like we were shocked, blown away. By something as mundane as a human being opening their eyes? Like, it was so 3D, it was so big in our faces. It was unbelievable. I felt like I was at the first movie ever. This is so strange strange that you had such a different reaction to this movie than I did. I saw the exact same thing you did. <laughs> in the exact same place? In the exact same theater. <laughs> I'm telling you, people gasped. Like, we were shocked. 
fucked. It sounds like you were you too were... late. You were too late for it, man. I was one there... year. Yeah, old hat, man. It sounds like you guys experienced like an alien abduction. <laughs> You're like, and I don't lie. One hundred people simultaneously fell to their knees and convulsed. Yeah, I think you may have had like a contact high going in there or something. Yeah, what is? I don't know what to tell you, man. I... Right, so th- this is pretty much our first shot of this whole motion capture effect, where they pretty much shot this movie like it was a video game, right? They had the yeah. characters on a green screen, put little balls on their face, slap balls on their chin. <laughs> and then they- <laughs> Well done, sir. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Whenever they would move around, their motions would be transcribed onto the CG models. They captured their performance and put it onto the screen. Yeah, the balls represented nodes on a wireframe model, right? What did you guys think of the motion capture effect in this movie? I think the motion capture itself was pretty good. It was the models that I had a problem with. Yeah, exactly. It was the way that the people looked and it just it looked so plastic and cartoonish. I remember when this movie came out and the critics were having a field day about saying how these characters had dead eyes, they looked like zombies, like shark eyes, you know, they would just stare at you, no emotion, they were dead inside, these little kids. Agreed. And when I first saw this movie, my heart was just filled with so much Christmas spirit, I just didn't see it. I agree with the critics. I feel like maybe it was the, the way that there was no light reflecting off their eyes, it just, it looked flat to me. Kevin, are you familiar with the Uncanny Valley? No. <laughs> What about you? Uncanny Valley? Yeah. No. You, neither of you have heard of this? Is it a, I'm stunned. Is it a valley where the uncanny X-Men collect? And they fight each other in the Savage Land. <laughs> really? Oh, okay. It's oh, the Savage wait, Land. Wait, 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 okay. wait, wait. The Savage Land? <laughs> I saw this. <laughs> I remember that episode. Xavier walked around. Yeah, Xavier walked around and they all they lost, they lost all their powers. The hypothesis for the Uncanny Valley is that as the appearance of a robot is made more human, a human observer's emotional response to the robot will become increasingly positive and empathic until a point is reached beyond which the response quickly becomes that of strong revulsion. However, as the robot's appearance continues to become less distinguishable from that of a human being, the emotional response becomes positive once more and approaches human to human empathy levels. So essentially what's going on here is that when you try to make something that looks like a human being, right, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't look exactly perfect, subconsciously we turn against it. Like, oh, there's something wrong with this thing. So when you make a human that's like really abstract and cartoonish looking, like we very easily accept it because and we, are happy to have it. Because it's easier for us to project ourselves onto it. Yeah, it's like a non-threatening thing. But like it we just freaks us out if something's not human and looks Yeah, like we too know much like us. Yeah, we know what a human being is supposed to look like. When someone talks, muscles move on their face a certain way. Mm-hmm. So when you see something that looks human, but it's not acting human, like its eyes aren't moving the right way, or something, mm-hmm. it's like there's something wrong with this person. I have to stay away. That's what the uncanny value. Like Like Cameron Bright. Ouch. (laughs) No one's going to know who or what that is. So you're saying that the CG is kind of like between those two in this movie. Between where it would be at the level where I can't distinguish it between a human. Like look at how the humans look in a Pixar movie right. compared to this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we start off with this little boy and he no longer believes in Santa Claus. He No, he's not sure. He's a Santa agnostic. He's seeking the truth out. We're always complaining on this show that movies take way, way, way too long for stuff to happen. You know, the thing that we're here to do, like, like the mummy takes an hour from to show up. This movie's not joking around. The Polar 
Express shows up within six minutes. Yep. I'm very impressed with this. Yeah, and the little kid, he runs off to the Polar Express. His pretty amazing, almost Jeff Bridges-esque bathrobe gets caught, rips a hole in the pocket, and he runs to the Polar Express. Mm -hmm. His robe and pajama combination of the yellow pajamas and the blue robe was really well done. Top notch. Yeah. Dashing. They had some taste. (laughs) Debonair. Beefcake. (laughs) (laughs) Kids like eight years old. (laughs) All right, so Tom Hanks pops out of the Polar Express. He's the conductor, and he goes up to our little boy here, the hero boy, and he says something really ominous and creepy to him. The little kid is doubtful the train doesn't want to get on, and then Tom Hanks gets really close. His dead eyes kind of flicker back and forth, and he says, you better think twice, kid. You mean Right? He says something along those lines. Something very murderous. You better think twice, kid. If you don't get on this train, you might live to regret it. He's basically insinuating that he's making like a life or death decision right now. He better choose right. You and your family are not going to live through the night if you don't get on this train. So the little kid finally, he wises up and he jumps on board the train while it's moving. He breaks all the regulations and jumps on board where the train is moving. Hobo style, right? He was hobo-esque. He's riding the rails. He jumps into the, the whole Polar Express and we see in the train car, it's full of little kids all in their pajamas. Now let's stop and think about this for a second. <laughs> a stranger is riding around town in a train <laughs> filled P- with filled. young, nubile <laughs> flesh preteens. <laughs> Filled to the brim, <laughs> packed <laughs> like sardines all together. Yeah, they're all in their pajamas. They're all frolicking around. They're we all... had this older gentleman with a prickly mustache <laughs> walking around surveying. I don't know what this is supposed to be a metaphor for or some sort of symbolism for something, but the end of childhood, the loss of innocence, perhaps. I think you're reading too much into this. <laughs> you're not reading enough into it. <laughs> So the young hero boy gets on the train and they continue to make their way through the town until they go on to the wrong side of the tracks. Yep. The other side of the tracks, the poor side of town, a young boy comes out and he looks like he's dressed like he was born like a year after Jesus was born and he is <laughs> <laughs> he's from Jerusalem. This little kid reminded me of Dewey from Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he looked just like him. Yep. Yeah. This kid either had rickets or polio or, or something because when he, the walk cycle animation that they gave this guy. Yeah, his arms and legs, they flailed all over the place. He's Maggie Grace. Yeah. He had Maggie Grace running. <laughs> yeah. Look into that, <laughs> everybody. His right arm was double the length of his left arm. He was running after the train. <laughs> Legion. Yes. Legion. yes. He, he, he looked like the ice cream truck man from Legion running after the train. I was waiting for his jaw to drop down to the snow and start screaming at it. <laughs> this kid looks like he's absolutely miserable. <laughs> like he's on the verge of death. Like before the Polar Express came by, like he was standing on a stool with like a noose around his neck. That's how sad he looks. <laughs> He was rocking back and forth in a chair with a noose around his neck. Yeah, I mean, I can only assume that he's being beaten every day, malnourished. Nobody likes him. Maybe he has no family. Maybe he's like a latchkey kid living home alone. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like his dad comes in and out of an alcoholic stupor and throws an empty whiskey (laughs) bottle at his head every every 35 minutes. I can only assume that's what's going on behind the scenes with this guy. He looks so decrepit and depressed. So he initially turns down the offer to be in the Polar Express, but baby Tom Hanks Jr. Jr. 
decides that this little kid needs to be on the train. He pulls the emergency brake, and the little kid hops on board, and we have our last member of the expedition, and we ride off into the sunset. The little kid doesn't get on the car with them, though. He has to go in the back of the train. So next, we get a a delicious hot treat in the form of... So the Polar Express takes off again, making its way to the North Pole. It's at this point that Tom Hanks gets on the loudspeaker and asks all of the travelers if they would like a warm, hot beverage. Everybody, of course, screams yes. And he goes, that's just what I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Then we're treated to a 16-piece river dance-esque razzmatazz tap dance scene where people are running around. They're jazz hands. They're jazz. Yeah, they're running around with a giant espresso, hot chocolate. I don't know if you know this about Santa Claus, but he has a clone army. Do you know that? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Because these waiters, they come out, there's like 20 of them, and they all look identical. They're the same person, really. Uh Not just the waiters, but there's like chefs there too, Mm -hmm. and they're the same person as well. Santa's clone army comes out and jazz hands their way around the cart, and they are doing some some quick hand magic with hot chocolate. They are squirting liquid into the air, just oozing brown goo through the sky at little kids' faces. (laughs) They are splitting the streams and then combining the streams again into a delicious hot chocolatey beverage explosion and they're all landing perfectly in every car. You guys are not doing this scene justice. It was a really cool scene. You're explaining like it's a sick, twisted (laughs) scene where it's like it's basically like a dance number, right? (laughs) I'd rather prefer that it's like a disgusting like... (laughs) Yeah, I know. They're oozing like turds into their cups. Yeah, yeah they give all like turd juice to drink. Oh, Dante's Peak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight from Dante's, Dante's Peak. Dante's Peak water. Yeah. It was a really cool scene. That I thought it was really well done. It was There was so much going on. Mm-hmm. And you could just look at like one part of the screen and there'd be tons of stuff going on, let alone the whole picture. I don't know about you guys, but this hot chocolate looked like it was the best hot chocolate of all time, right? Yeah, it, I'd probably like, kill someone for that hot chocolate. <laughs> it was magic Santa Claus hot chocolate. I can, I can only imagine what that must taste like, right? It's like that is the epitome it's of hot chocolate. a hint of peppermint in there. <laughs> Man, (laughs) little Tom Hanks, he meets a girl on the train. When she smiles at him, I felt a shockwave of revulsion (laughs) and disgust. Like, it was really unsettling the way her face looked when she was smiling, right? It didn't bother me. It looked like a horse was about to take a bite of a carrot when she smiled. It was just like the CG modeling on her face. Like, it looks so weird. These animators, I think they really took these complaints to heart because they ironed this stuff out. By the time Beowulf came out, I thought that those people looked more human-like than they did in this one. I also think it's probably easier to do adults than it is children. I mean, the adults in this movie, like, all the Tom definitely... Hanks roles, looked pretty good to me. It's legal to do. <laughs> it's legal to do an adult. <laughs> I think the trouble is with children because children look... Children have a very smooth appearance. <laughs> Where are you going with this? Where is this going? I sound like... <laughs> Sounds like you should be the conductor on Polar Express. <laughs> I think the thing that makes the children look weird is they look like they're plastic dolls. I agree with that. Okay? But in a lot of ways, children, they don't have wrinkles, really. They don't have, like, blemishes in their skin like adults do. Like, they gain over the years. So it's easier to put that in an adult's face and make it look more realistic. The weight of the world doesn't crush their little souls? <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, so this little girl, she decides to steal some hot chocolate and give it to the little boy in the back. He's kind of wallowing in his own chaotic <laughs> Secure delusions. That's <laughs> <laughs> actually accurate. <laughs> <laughs> 
Tom Hanks helps this little girl cross over from one train car to the other. Little Tom Hanks notices that the girl left her ticket on the seat. He grabs it and goes to give it to her. But when he goes outside to give it to her, a gust of wind blows the ticket out of his hand. And why don't you explain this little sequence of events that happens after this? So the next like two, three minutes are probably my favorite part of this whole movie because we follow the ticket being blown around, landing in the snow. Then a pack of wolves come by. They run by. They knock the, the ticket up in the air again. It's floating in the air for an eagle to catch. The eagle catches it, brings it back to the nest. The baby bird spits it out, turns into a snowball, rolls down the hill. Then the train hits it. It flies up in the air again and it returns right back to where the ticket had been dropped. This sequence looked unreal in 3D. I thought this was amazing. I do remember that looking really good in 3D and it looked really good now too. I mean, this was this whole part looked amazing to me. Oh yeah, it's really impressive. And I think it's probably because there's no people on the screen the whole time. I mean, the, everything in this movie besides the people looks amazing. I agree. I absolutely agree. I never saw this film in 3D, but the way the camera followed this ticket around, it made me feel like I was actually flying around with this thing, which happened to maybe two other times in this movie. I thought that the use of sound effects during this sequence was just extremely impressive. Mm-hmm. I love what they did. Like when the ticket left the train, you could hear the train kind of in the distance and then you would hear like the wolves and it was almost just silent except for the wind and like the ticket fluttering. It was amazing. Very impressive. You're right. This is the best scene in the movie. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with the story, really. They're just kind of showing off. Yeah, that's fun. They needed to show off more. <laughs> so Tom Hanks takes the little girl who lost her ticket back to the, the back car and then takes her up on the roof of the train, which I'm not really sure what he was doing with her. It was really weird. Yeah, but, why Why didn't they just walk to the front? Uh, I don't know. It's a really roundabout way of doing things. <laughs> so the little boy, he has the ticket back now after it, it went on its adventure and he tries to go catch up with the conductor with the little girl so he can show the conductor that, you know, she has her ticket. So he winds up climbing on top of the train and as he's chasing after them, he comes across Hobo Tom Hanks who is basically riding on the train up on the, the roof frying up some sock water. Sock coffee. He's uh, he's playing his little guitar. Joel, you got a kick out of that. Yeah. What'd you think of that? That instrument? Yeah, it's all right. The first time I saw this movie, I was really impressed with this instrument. The Hobo Hanks is on top of the train and he's playing Good King Wenceslas, one of my favorite Christmas carols. He's playing it on this little instrument that kind of looks like a mandolin, mm-hmm. but it has a crank mm-hmm. on it. I was like, what the hell is that thing? Like, I actually thought that they had invented it for the movie. Mm-hmm. And then I did some, some research and I found out what the hell it is. That thing is called a hurdy-gurdy. So there you go. There's a little fun fact for you. It's a real instrument. How how does it work? You you crank it up. To tell you the truth, I have no idea how the hell it works, but I do know that some expert hurdy-gurdy player was brought in and motion-captured playing it. Really? Yeah. Very cool. So uh, Baby Hanks Jr. is up there with Hobo Hanks, and they're having a conversation about why he's on the train in the first place. And he starts to crawl out through his shadow and try to figure out if he's there because he doesn't want to get tricked and believe that Santa Claus is real when he's not, or if the entire thing might actually be fictitious and that it's all a dream. The hobo character is kind of interesting, so let's kind of talk about this guy. There are times where he's displayed as being, like, a good guy. There's also times he's displayed as being a bad guy. I don't know, what do you think of this guy? Well, I guess he he represents young Tom Hanks's 
skepticism, right? Which in certain situations is a good thing. In certain situations, it's not. It's not a good thing. So that's how I took it. it turns out that the little girl was up in the conductor seat all along. She was up in the front of the train. And the given, engineers... Given job that she was egregiously unqualified to... to <laughs> yeah, to, to run to the hold. train. Yeah, that was... She lost her passenger ticket. So here, here's the keys to the, the engine. And, and the lives of these 40 <laughs> homeless children that we stole, <laughs> that we kidnapped... <laughs> Yeah, so the engineers of the train, they're hanging outside, they're trying to fix it. And I have to wonder, let me ask you this. Who are these people that run the train? Or better yet, what are they? Do you think they're human beings? Ooh. I want to say that there's some extension of the uh, of Santa Claus Incorporated. They work for the big man. Yeah, I'm going to say they're human beings. They're just enlisted in, in the uh, Santa's Army Corps. Yeah. Because they believe in Santa, that's why? Yeah, sure. Perhaps our little boy could be destined to work for them? He could yeah. be the next conductor? Yeah. Well, I mean, he proved that he had what it takes. <laughs> what? The engineers that are in the front of the the train they see that there's some sort of obstruction and they need to stop the train so they scream to the little girl to hit the brakes this little girl needs to stop the train she tells little tom hanks that this golden colored horizontal lever this little lever is the brake and not the regular giant po- red giant pulley, red pulley that most people would associate is is the brake and little tom hanks defies her he's like what's going on are you sure are you sure and this little girl she crumbles you know she doesn't crumble yeah she does during this sequence yeah, she's she like does. high Hides her eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to watch. I don't want to watch this now. I've done the math to know the dangers of our second guessing. The less we crumble, the more we grow. To strengthen our communication, which is what happened during the sequence, the little boy decides for himself to believe in her, right? He believes, yep. which is part of his growth as a character, and he pulls the lever that she said, and she was right. It was the break. Yep. So the train slows down right as it's about to hit what turns out to be a herd of several thousand caribou. So what do you think of the engineers? I, I thought the fat guy looked really cool. Fat man and little boy? Yeah. I like them a lot. In a movie where all we're given is Tom Hanks, these two characters really stood out. They that's, were very cartoony. They, they were, and they were a lot of fun. That's what they were. They were characters. I thought the fat one who was always sweating, I thought he looked good, and he, he was a fun character. The other one had this super long beard. He looked like he was craving a shaving, <laughs> or I was craving to shave him. <laughs> <laughs> This just, they made me think, like, this movie probably could have been a lot better if they dropped the whole Tom Hanks has to play every role bit. It's more over the top, And they made it a little more over the top, and the character's a little more cartoonish. I think the movie would have been a little better for that. All right, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. But that's, like, kind of what makes this movie stand out from a lot of other animated CG movies. It doesn't have those characters. Mm. It's based solely on this one story arc, and it, it doesn't rely on the character behavior of all these other secondary characters. Okay, so after all this stuff, the train goes up this enormous hill and for whatever reason like the brakes cease to function and they start going faster and faster and faster and when they go up this enormous hill there's a warning sign that says warning 179 degree incline <laughs> <laughs> like it's almost perfectly straight down like this drop it's like amazing so they go down this enormous hill and the movie turns into like a roller coaster simulator here mm-hmm. what do you think of this I thought was a lot of fun yeah it was pretty I cool. was on the edge of my seat <laughs> I, no no, like to, to be completely honest, like this was probably my second favorite scene in the movie. First with the ticket and then this scene. Again, um, the non-human stuff. The non-human stuff where the camera is taking the perspective of the train itself. I felt like I was actually put on the train and I was riding it. So this is essentially a first person viewpoint sequence of like someone riding a super fast roller coaster. Now imagine this scene on a gigantic IMAX screen in 3D. I still don't think it would make me mind bending. I still don't think it would make me like weep on the way out like you were explaining. 
complaining. What happened to us was, this is, I remember this vividly, right? My eyes were so wide open. I was gripping the armrest so tight. I was like, oh my God. And then when I finally did blink, it was one of those times where like, I ended up blinking for like three minutes straight. It was like, and like tears started because <laughs> my eyes had dried out. <laughs> they were just open the entire movie. This scene in the movie for me back then, it was like visual overload. My brain just couldn't take it anymore. What did you look like? The Maxell man and like the, in yeah. The, like the, I'm telling you guys, you missed out. Like this was. I saw the same thing as you. <laughs> I have never heard anybody react to seeing a 3D IMAX movie the way that you're describing. You guys it. missed the boat, man. I, no, no, no. But it's oh not. Like, it's, not, it's not like you're the only I person on the, the planet. Same thing as it's not like you're the only person on the planet who's seen this in 3D IMAX. No one else has ever explained this experience. You had to have been there. Christmas 2004. You're insane. That's it, you know? It wasn't even Christmas. <laughs> it was like two weeks later. So eventually the train goes out of control and it goes on a frozen lake and it's like fishtailing out of control. I thought this looked pretty cool. The ice starts to shatter and they have to ride the train backwards and then forwards again and have to realign the train so it goes back on the tracks and the train spirals out it keeps going and it spirals out but it keeps going i don't know how it is that tom hanks was able to guide this train back on the tracks like the train was going so fast it's almost as if tom hanks had to separate his body from the mind <laughs> We got this amazing sequence where uh, Josh Groban pokes his head into the Polar Express and we get our little song and dance number. What did you think of this little number? I don't really care for these singing scenes in, in movies like this. Even in the animated movies, the singing doesn't really do anything for me. Even in Aladdin, The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast? Yeah, it's just... You heard it here first. It doesn't really do it for me. Soulless assassin over here. The only one that, that I enjoy is uh, from an American tale. I'm okay with that one. It's part of like a movie's pedigree like this. I almost feel like if the movie didn't have it, I probably would have enjoyed it more just because I also don't like that kind of stuff. <laughs> but it would also be out of place, you know? I think they do this so they can sell soundtracks. That's my opinion. How cynical. Okay, yeah, that's cynical. It's Darwinian capitalism. <laughs> oh, well done. I actually like this song, When Christmas Comes to Town. You would. I think I, I might have been weeping openly <laughs> back in 2004. <laughs> Did everybody point to you and say, what a weak, weak, weak man you are. <laughs> I spat at you. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure in 2004, we all extended our hand and, and clapped the hands of our neighbors and we swayed back and forth to the rhythm of the music. <laughs> it was that kind of a movie going experience. It was incredible. You just had to be there. <laughs> you have blown this thing so out of proportion. Yeah, when the movie was over, we all ascended into heaven. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> the ceiling faded away and the Empyrean of God lifted us directly into heaven. Yeah, Tom Hanks was there to greet us. <laughs> this is a giant Tom Hanks head. This is Van Helsing? Oh yeah. This is another scene in the movie when they're singing that I feel like they would have died from hypothermia within 30 seconds and yet they were hitting every note. I mean, I, I'd have trouble breathing and at this point in the movie, the northern lights were in full effect. They were crossing what looked like the coldest frozen tundra I've ever seen. Yeah, they finally make it to the North Pole. What did you think of the way it looked? I thought it looked like <laughs> something from Atlas Shrugged. I don't know if you know this, but Martin is a devout objectivist. <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm the literal opposite of that. <laughs> devout. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, we get to the North Pole and like, uh, you think the movie would be over, but nope, there's a couple more action sequences. The little sad kid stays behind when everybody leaves the train. They go after him and the train car that they're in accidentally gets unlocked and they kind of go spiraling out into the city streets and they, they crash like in the train depot somewhere. The train is on this platform that, that is above this infinite pit to a dark abyss mm-hmm. and they have to do like a tightrope act across this very thin rail to yeah. get across and they're wobbling around. I remember back in 2004, we were all on the edge of our seats. Like my heart was racing. It was so exciting. I was sweating. I was like, oh my God, I hope these kids don't die. I don't understand why any of these kids were risking their lives to do any of this. What was their objective? What were they trying to do? Christmas spirit, man. They were trying to do the Christmas spirit? What is that, like a <laughs> dance? <laughs> so these kids are walking around the empty city streets of the North Pole and two of the kids, they, they hear something. They, they, they keep saying like, can you hear it? Can you hear this? But little Tom Hanks, he can't hear anything at all. Eventually, Santa Claus makes his appearance, finally. Which his appearance was awesome. I really like that because all the elves start singing uh, Santa Claus is coming to town and when they get done through the song, that's when the doors open up and he comes out and the elves go nuts. Yeah, it's like a rock star showed up. Yeah, it's, it was really cool. I really like that touch. Now, little Tom Hanks Jr., when he's trying to see Santa Claus for the first time, all he can see is like this radiant light and I'm trying to figure out if it's because he doesn't believe in Santa Claus yet or he just is unable to see him or they wanted to like use it as like an effect to like make him seem like yeah because you can't see Santa Claus yet unless unless you believe in him yeah and the reindeer come out and they're floating around and their bells are jingling and jangling but to the little boy he sees the bells moving but they're not making any sound right I actually thought this sequence was really cool like the way it, you can hear the Christmas carol singing in the background and then it just slows down like the song itself slows down mm-hmm. and eventually ends in silence as like one of the bells falls off flips through the air lands on the ground with a thud it doesn't make any ringing sounds the little kid picks it up and he jingles it in his head and he hears nothing but then he says you know I believe I finally believe and then it starts to ring so I have a question for you about this like belief makes the bell ring like if you believe in Santa you can hear the bell now I'm going to compare this movie to another movie that it's that is almost exact it's as if the two plots are identical as if one of these writers stole it from the other now Volcano Dante's Peak Deep Impact Armageddon like two movies come out well there's there's a Polar Express it's about belief and then another movie came out somewhere around the same time period almost the exact same thing it's a little movie called Constantine starring Keanu Reeves (laughs) 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 and that had at its core a crisis of belief in it as well now one of the key things that Tilda Swinton said to Keanu Reeves and Constantine was Constantine went to hell and because of it he believes in God now and because he has more belief than anybody else he thinks that he should be allowed to go to heaven but Tilda Swinton says no because she said you saw and now you know and knowing is very different than believing they're not the exact same thing Mm -hmm. right this little kid only believes in Santa Claus because he was shown explicit proof that Santa Claus exists that's not belief he didn't see him yet though but what about everything else that he's seen yeah I was gonna bring this up as well this boy is on a magical train ride (laughs) there are elves yeah he's all his elves and then and then on top of that, these reindeer are flying in the air while they're running. And he's like, where's Santa? I don't see him. At that point, if you don't believe in Santa. All right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stretch here a little oh, bit. Yeah, you can limber up a little yeah, bit, please. Yeah. There were a few times where he referenced the possibility that he was dreaming. I don't, I'm not this sure he was convinced that this was all real. 
that, but that was him being real, saying, if this is a dream or not, I believe. And then that's when Santa appeared. That's that's my explanation. That's when Santa came to town. Yeah. In his heart. <laughs> okay, so little Tom Hanks Jr. holds up the bell, and right after he says, I believe, I believe, you can see a reflection of Santa Claus kind of warped in the bell. It's at this point that he turns around and sees a 10-foot-tall, 11-foot-tall Yeah, he was giant? like King Xerxes in 300. He was enormous. Why did they make him so large? Isn't he just supposed to be a person? Oh, Santa Claus is much more than just a person. Santa's first order of business is to give out the first present of Christmas. So he, of course, he picks little Tom Hanks, and little Tom Hanks decides to pick the bell that the reindeer dropped. That's going to be his eternal gift to remind him that this was a real thing. Mm-hmm. So he puts it in his pocket. Santa Claus jumps into his sleigh. He pulls out his whip, which is like this electronic laser whip, like he's Simon Belmont or something, whips the, <laughs> the reindeer. <laughs> And, and, and the reindeer, they fly off and he explodes in a shower of rainbow powder and disappears into the night sky. Mm-hmm. Our little Tom Hanks goes back on the train and this idiot, he pulls a donkey lips and <laughs> a, a hole ripped in his pocket <laughs> and the bell fell out. Just like donkey lips has changed when he went to go buy the hamburgers. <laughs> That's my arcane reference for the day. (laughs) This movie ends with uh, the kids getting back on the train. The conductor punches their ticket and he writes like a little message on it, like uh, learn, lead, believe. These are like the lessons that they learn, which makes me wonder if um, everything that happened to these kids on the train was like fate. Like This was all spelled out for them. Like they never really were in danger Mm. because all the things that happened ultimately led to them having like a life lesson. Like the girl learned to become a leader. Not only that. And he learned to believe in others. And Okay, so this movie ends with just like Chris Van Al previous movie, Jumanji, everything kind of resets back to what it was the day before. The little kid's pocket kind of mends itself. And when he goes back downstairs, he finds a present under the tree and he opens it up and it's the bell that Santa Claus gave him. And he rings it and he can hear it and his little sister can hear it, but his parents can't hear it. And it ends with this uh, nice little narration. that I remember when I saw this back in 04, I thought this was awesome. Like I actually really did think this was a really nice ending to this movie. Well, at the time, his all his friends could hear it, but as the years went on, it's few and fewer of his friends could hear it and then uh, his sister even couldn't hear it after a while but to this day he can still hear the bell so I thought that was a fantastic ending I agree I like this a lot yeah it was really nice yeah no it was a really good emotional capstone to this adventure I I mean wouldn't that stay with you forever I mean it's it's really yeah. cool but then like when you think about it like can you imagine going over to your grandfather's house he's like telling you stories about Santa Claus and his trip to the <laughs> North Pole it's like all right, like you're a little crazy. But you know what it is? The moment you would doubt him, that's when the train would come to pick you up, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like this train isn't picking everyone up. Yeah, it only picked up, what was it, like eight kids? Yeah, like this is a pretty selective train. One of the most extreme offenders, right? Yeah. Yeah, this is like a scared straight program for people that don't believe in Santa. <laughs> that's pretty much it. That was the Polar Express. Let's find out what the real critics have to say about this movie. A failed and lifeless experiment in which everything goes wrong. Peter Travers, Rolling Stone. Without a trace of real live people, you get special effects that are not special, visual talking points without personality, virtual reality that is anything but real. Rex Reed, New York Observer. A botched technological experiment of Tron proportions. Cold, remote, and creepy rather than engaging, warm, and jolly. Lisa Rose, New York Star Ledger. And finally, the Polar Express is at best disconcerting and at worst a wee bit 
it horrifying. Paul Clinton from CNN.com. Okay, guys, this movie currently holds a 56% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it really that bad? No, I don't think it's that bad. I, I enjoyed myself. I, I thought, I mean, in Jesus Christ, in comparison to the last movie, this was like a masterpiece. I thought the movie was pretty engaging. I thought that it was pretty touching. If I was 10 years old, I probably would have loved it. And uh, I still enjoyed watching it. I thought Tom Hanks was really good. I would definitely take my kids to go see it. That's for sure. So enjoyable. And I'd, I'd say a three out of five. For me, it's not that bad. 56 isn't really that bad of a score. But for me, it's a three out of five. It's a decent movie. I don't know if I would say it's a classic, like a, a holiday classic movie by any stretch. But I can see kids enjoying this. It doesn't doesn't really hold up for me on, on you know, multiple viewings. But um, it, it's not bad. Okay, 56%. This is probably the highest rated movie that we've ever done on the show. But what the hell, you know, it's Christmas and I wanted to watch it. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to give ourselves a little holiday present, you know, whatever. Who cares? As for me, is it really that bad? No, I don't think it's that bad. This movie is actually quite enjoyable. It's kind of interesting because the last time I saw this movie on TV, my score dropped dramatically, like huge, because when I first saw this in the theater back in 2004, where these poor suckers weren't there, I recognized this as a holy gift, and to, I celebrated this chance to be alive and breathing while I was watching the Polar Express in 3D IMAX. It was unbelievable. It was amazing. It does lose a lot when you watch it in 2D, but it's still a really fun movie. You act like just because we didn't see this movie as a holy gift, I'm holding it like a leaded grudge. <laughs> that I need to turn this leaded grudge into gold. But I don't really think that this movie is that good, that it deserves that. You know, you don't have to point your finger, blame the other, or watch this temple topple over. (laughs) What is happening? No, I, I enjoyed this movie a lot. This is definitely, this movie benefited greatly from watching a poor movie previously <laughs> so, like, to so watching, watching a competent a movie. By the way, the rest of us, we had an excellent time in Atlantic City that night <laughs> without watching the Polar Express. That's not how I remember it. I thought you guys look miserable and dead to me. Because we're waiting for you jerks to get out of the movies. <laughs> It sounded like you had like a religious experience at this IMAX viewing. We came out. I had lost all concept of space and time. <laughs> I melded into the movie theater seats and then came back out. I felt like I was born again. We all, everybody in the theater, like we melted together into one collective consciousness. <laughs> As you watch the movie. <laughs> Best theater going experience of all time. Okay, so my score for this viewing, I'm going to go four out of five. I really had a good time watching this thing. Despite the fact that, yeah, these kids do look weird, I was able to appreciate everything else that's in this that's in this movie. I mean, this is a good looking movie. Aside from the kids' faces, this is a really nice looking movie. And I had a really good time watching it. Definitely the kind of movie I would want to show my children someday. Okay, we got some listener mail. I'll play those for you right now. To listen to your messages, press one. Hey guys, it's Capo Monkey from Parts Unknown. Hi guys, it's Leo from Little Manny, Connecticut again. Hey guys, it's Crystal from Phoenix again, calling to review Polar Express. This movie, I'm kind of on the fence about this movie. I think it's parts of it are very horrific and other parts of it are pretty good. I saw the Polar Express in the theater when I was 12 years old and I really enjoyed it. I don't like the way it's animated, first of all, because it's just creepy. I mean, it's... Oh, it gives me shivers up my spine. I can't watch the new Scrooge movie for the same reason. Don't make your movie like this. You might think it looks realistic. I think it looks terrifying. It gives me nightmares. So when I found out you guys are reviewing this film, I had to check out its Rotten Tomatoes page to see if the movie is rotten, and surprisingly it is. Uh, I'm here to not actually review, but give my word on Polar Express. 
The movie is about the slave trade and pedophiles. Enough said. A, a bearded man with a big mustache who comes in the night and picks up children. Picks <laughs> up so children in the middle of the night on a choo-choo train to, to a place that doesn't even exist. The North Pole to meet Santa Claus. <laughs> he gets kidnapped by freaking Joe versus the volcano. And uh, Tom Hanks, God, I can't, I can't believe I can think of his name. He gets kidnapped by Tom Hanks. He takes him, takes him on the train, and he can just. And it makes matters worse. The children are exposed to magical, magical doings. I think that's a subliminal message for drugs. <laughs> okay, I'm done. It's more like a movie that's just about Tom Hanks kidnapping children and scolding them the whole ride to wherever his hideout is. It's like, why are you sitting like that, kid? Why do you get out of your seat? Don't pee your pants because you're afraid, little child. I'm just like, Jesus, Tom Hanks plays the devil in this movie. I hope you guys enjoy the movie because I, I really do when I was a kid, and I hope this movie truly does not deserve a rotten status, so... Please enjoy this movie. Bye. Happy holidays. End of new messages. Thanks for those voicemails, guys. Thanks, guys. We also got one more special voicemail that demands our immediate attention. I'll play that for you right now. Me. It's a V. All right, guys. FMK. You know, both Mary Kill, but replace both with the F word. Okay, anyway. FMK. Emily Browning. Megan Fox. And Kate Beckinsale. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so basically it's the retread of that DCU question we had the other day, which was, you can marry one, have sex with one, kill the other. Kate Beckinsale, Megan Fox, Emily Browning. I got my three. Okay. I knew I knew right off the bat. Yeah, me too. All right, go ahead. I'm going to marry Emily Browning, of course. Give me a break. I'm going to have coitus with <laughs> Megan Fox, and I'm absolutely killing Kate Beckinsale. She's going down. <laughs> Wow, I'm completely different. I'm going to marry Kate Beckinsale. Why? Because she's got a good accent. She's got a horse face. Oh. Careful, you Yankee doodle. You- yeah. <laughs> Kate Beckinsale is really pretty. Oh, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm tired of you bad mouthing Kate Beckinsale. <laughs> Yankee doodles. <laughs> um, I would, uh, I'd off Megan Fox and have sex with Emily Browning. Fascinating. What about her lips? Whose lips? The only lips that matter, Emily <laughs> Browning's. Yeah, I agree with you, Martin, completely. I'm marrying Emily Browning. There's no doubt in my mind. She seems like she would be the best to marry. I'm having sex with Megan Fox all day long. <laughs> You're such a man. And we're going to round off, round it off by executing <laughs> Kate Beckinsale gangland style. <laughs> my wife and my mistress, Emily Browning <laughs> and Megan Fox. This is to help me kill her, I guess. <laughs> Great question. <laughs> really hard-hitting stuff. <laughs> oh, all right, let's read some listener mail. Margaret writes in, Hi, Joel. How are you? I have a few theories as to how it could take you two hours to shave. <laughs> One, you shaved all the hair on your body. <laughs> <laughs> Completely bald. From head to toe. <laughs> no eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, he looks like powder. <laughs> Two, you tried to shave with some kind of old-fashioned shaving knife from the 1700s. Three, you tried to spell your name on your face. 
four. You tried to shave with your eyes closed. All these theories are far-fetched, but I can't think of anything really plausible. I hope you're feeling better. Can't wait to hear your podcast tomorrow. Take care, Margaret. You know what? One of those is accurate. I won't say which. Oh, wow. (laughs) Let the mystery build even further. Mike writes in and says, I love the podcast and I've started listening to every episode. One thing that bothers me is that it pisses me off that I don't know what you guys look like. I figured you guys would get a laugh at how I picture you in my head. So here it goes. Joel, I picture you looking kind of Asian. Pretty much exactly like Amir from College Humor and the new Harold and Kumar movie. Martin, you strike me as a really dorky looking Channing Tatum with less <laughs> muscles. <laughs> oh, that was good. And finally, Kevin, I picture Kevin looking like a Tobey Maguire type, like emo <laughs> Spider-Man Toby. Was I close at all? Keep up the good work, Mike. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever been so offended in my life. <laughs> I look like a dorky chef. I hate him, though. <laughs> it's funny that this was brought up because I was talking to you about this on the phone today. Essentially, everybody would have their own idea of what we look like and none of them would be alike and none of them would be accurate. <laughs> Let's get some fan art. Let's see if people draw what they think we look like and submit that. Yeah, yeah. I want I want some Naruto fan art of what I would look like as an anime Best, best drawing gets to pick an episode. Yeah, that's going to be the contest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next up, Justin writes in, Happy holidays, guys. I was watching TV a couple of weeks back, and I was fortunate enough to get to see Scrooge starring Bill Effing Murray. Afterward, I posited to my friends that it was one of the quintessential holiday films a must-watch for anyone. My question to you is, what are your quintessential holiday films? I watch Christmas Story. I leave it on Christmas. The 24 hours of the, Christmas tw- story. The, tw- the 24 hours of Christmas Story. And, I mean, I'm never actually watching it straight through. I'm, like, walking around my house because we have Christmas at my house every year, but I will occasionally, like, sit down and catch it at a scene and that movie's unique for me in the fact that no matter where I land on it I always enjoy the scene that I that I do end up catching yeah that, that movie's great that's definitely one of mine and my other one's gonna be Elf I love Elf I put it on every year when we're decorating the Christmas tree that's like a new tradition that's pretty cool yeah no 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 my, the real answer is a Christmas story that's really the only holiday movie worth watching in my opinion yeah so this is gonna be the last email of the year essentially so I'm gonna end it on a high note Fred writes in I discovered your podcast a few months ago. During the months of October to November, I travel a lot for my job. Not only am I away from home for months at a time, but I do all my driving myself. From Pennsylvania, I've driven to Boston, Connecticut, New York, Michigan, Ohio, and even Louisiana. These trips go from 6 to 23 hours. Yes, I've driven 23 hours straight from Pennsylvania to Louisiana, then back from Louisiana to Pennsylvania. It sucks exactly as much as you imagine. I've been doing this job for going on four years now, but this year I have an iPhone and decided to load up on podcasts. Being a huge fan of movies, naturally, I looked for as as many movie podcasts as I could find. I found a few decent ones, but I do have to say that yours is by far my favorite. The premise is perfect, and I'm a huge lover of camp and bad movies to begin with. I also like that you guys are real friends, and that chemistry really comes through in the podcast. It's just fun to rip into movies and laugh about how bad they are, even though I generally love about 99% of the movies I watch, including just about all the ones on your podcast. Hey, I'm a good sport. Not to mention you guys 
guys are generally pretty sharp and know what you're talking about. I listened to your podcast on pretty much every trip I took this season and I enjoyed them all. It definitely helped the time fly. My travel season is over for the time being, but I'm hooked on your show and I make sure to download it and listen every week. So I thought you guys might appreciate a fair bit of gushing, though I'm sure you're getting plenty of that these days. Keep up the good work, Fred. Thanks, Fred. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. There you go. That's the last email of the year because we're going on a hiatus after this. I mean, you can send in emails if you want, but it probably won't get read until the start of the new year. So no question of the week this week. No listener's choice for a little while. We're out of here. The next two episodes are going to be on autopilot. You know, it's going to phone them in. (laughs) 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 But yeah, uh, happy holidays, everybody, right? Merry Christmas. Perhaps the Polar Express will come pick you up. Okay, so tune in next week when we will be watching the 2004 Ashton Kutcher epic, The Butterfly Effect. You know how I feel about my time travel movies. They have a floor, right? A, a minimum of a two? Or is it a minimum of a three that you give those movies? I feel like time oh, travel movies have a minimum of a four. <laughs> <laughs> they span from nearly perfect to sheer artisanal perfection. <laughs> this is a very controversial movie, especially with Ashton Kutcher in the news lately. It should be fun to watch. Oh, wow. That's listening to the show if you like what you've heard please consider subscribing we have a new episode every tuesday please leave us a positive review on itunes those five star reviews really do help out the show please head on over to our facebook page facebook.com slash yes that bad click the like button that helps spread the word of the show to all your friends you can also follow us on twitter at yeah it's bad you can follow martin at yeah it's martin you can follow kevin at, at yeah it's kev once again thanks for listening to the show happy holidays merry christmas we're out of here see you in 2012 to the little girl to hit the brakes but the little girl tells little Tom Hanks that this kind of golden shaped horizontal lever golden shaped <laughs> okay this 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 this, this blue shaped <laughs> oh my synesthesia is kicking in <laughs> golden shaped it smells like red in here <laughs> <laughs> oh man that was good